You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Sheldon Vonneken was a buddy of C.S. Lewis, and he tells a story at one point in time about trying to say goodbye to C.S. Lewis. And Lewis shakes his hand and looks him right in the eyes and says, I won't say goodbye. We shall meet again. And then he just walks away. And he walks away and he gets across the street and he turns around and he yells, besides, Christians never say goodbye. They only ever say, I'll see you later. Which I think is a great line. We never say goodbye. We only say, I'll see you later. It's a wonderful gift in our lives. A wonderful gift that you and I know that this is not the only life that we have. That there is a beautiful thing that we get in Jesus. A brand new kind of life that lasts forever. And so any and all goodbyes are only temporary in the world that we live in. Would you turn with me in a Bible one last time? We're going to be in Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We start at verse 1. Uh, right. 1 Thessalonians 2, starting at verse 1. You yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we'd already suffered and been shamefully mistreated at Philippi, as you know, we had courage in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in spite of great opposition. For our appeal does not spring from deceit or impure motives or trickery. But just as we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the message of the gospel, even so we speak, not to please mortals, but to please God, who tests our hearts. As you know, and as God is our witness, we never came with words of flattery or pretext for greed, nor did we seek praise from mortals, whether from you or from others, though we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nurse tenderly caring for her own children. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you've become very dear to us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, it is such a gift to be with these people whom I love. And I pray that you would bless them, God. That you would bless me. The beauty of the church, Lord, is that we are always a part of it. And it's my hope and prayer that you would bless this community long after I'm gone. Because the church isn't about me. (laughs) It's about Jesus. And God, we're so grateful for you. So grateful for all that you've done in and through this place. So grateful for all that you will do in and through this place. And we are grateful above all for Jesus. In your name, amen. Well, I can already tell this is going to be all over the place, uh, which is just the nature of the game. So I hope you'll bear with me. The reality is anytime I talk about Jesus and the gospel, I find myself getting emotional. And the challenge we have is that I'm already emotional about today. So it's just going to be all over the map, and who knows? And we'll just, we'll, we're on a ride together. It's going to be a journey. Uh, some years ago, uh, Jess and I were a part of a college ministry that uh, 
was a, a part of another church. And so we would go to local universities and play games and hang out with people. And uh, so one day we're going and playing Frisbee and talking to people and just shouting at strangers and trying to convince them to be involved in this thing that we're doing. And a guy walks by who I vaguely recognize like 100 yards away, and I have no shame. So it's just, hey, man, you should come. And so he just comes over and, you know, some stranger's yelling at him and starts playing games with us and hanging out. And I realize I do actually know him, but I have no idea who he is. You have, those are fun moments where you're like, oh, no, I've definitely invited you, and you think I know your name, and I do not. And uh, everyone decides to go to Sonic afterwards, and so we, you know, cherry lime hits, and we're all sitting down and chatting, and I'm sitting with this guy, and I'm trying to figure it out, and he now knows my name because enough people have said it. And so he has relational advantage, not because he's remembered, but because other people know my name. It's important to me that he's not really winning in this story. So we're sitting together, and we're talking, and he's given me enough details about his life. Like, he, he was a part of a rodeo at one point, and I'm like, oh... That's weird, and I remember a guy I talked to like over a year ago at the church who is a part of a rodeo, whose name is, I don't have it. And so we just kept chatting, and people are trickling away, and it's a mystery I'm determined to solve, and all of a sudden, these two girls walk up, and one of them, very interested in this guy. Yes, because she has to know his name. And so they sit down with us, and we start chatting a little bit, and I'm doing those sort of leading questions, like, how long have you guys known each other. And uh, I'm just sort of, and they keep not saying his name, which is driving me crazy. And the more leading questions I ask, the more they're bound to ask, so how do you know him? And, uh, uh, and all of a sudden, just as they ask the question, he throws his arm around me and goes, this is my pastor. And I was so surprised, so surprised in that moment because I don't know your name. And you, I'm pretty sure, don't know my name. And I haven't seen you in over a year. But out loud, I say, yeah, uh, this guy and I, we go way back. And uh, we're this, this church that I'm a part of down the way. And I start talking more about the church. And I'm thinking, do you not know, do you not know what a pastor is? I don't think he knew. I, just, I honestly don't think he has any idea what a pastor is. And the truth is, I don't blame him. Because there's a lot of counterfeits out there. There are many people who in our time don't seem to really understand what a pastor is, and unfortunately several of them have that title, and you hear about them in the news, typically when they commit crimes, which is really fun. And uh, it's, it's good to be associated with people who have that sort of same title. And the, the challenge of the word pastor, right, is that it is a, it's an agrarian word. It's a word for somebody who takes care of sheep, and that's why we liked it in the church. We take care of sheep, that's the job of a pastor. But there are all these pastors out there, and man, you would think that being a pastor is about wearing a certain kind of tennis shoe or having certain kinds of tattoos or a beard or posting vaguely religious, mildly inspiring comments on various social media platforms. You would think that being a pastor is about being important or being a really good public speaker or climbing a certain kind of ladder. Maybe if you know, you're really successful speaking at conferences or writing books or you know, doing things like that. That's not what a pastor is. A pastor is not somebody who puts on a show on a regular basis, a really good show. That's not what a pastor is. A pastor is somebody who follows Jesus in a community of people who also follow Jesus. A pastor is a part of a body of Christ. That's the job. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, talks about pastors. Now, he says shepherds, but we would use the word pastor. It's the same thing he's talking about. He says there's a difference between a pastor and an employee, like a difference between a shepherd and a hired hand. The pastor lays down his life for the sheep. The employee doesn't care. The pastor belongs to the sheep. 
the employee, the sheep belong to somebody else. The, the pastor, when there's a threat, he stands between the threat and the sheep. And the employee runs away. And Jesus says, I'm the good pastor. The standard by which we will all be judged, not just me, you, all of us will be judged as ministers. And that really is what a pastor is. A pastor is somebody who would care for you so deeply that they wouldn't just share the gospel with you, but their lives as well, because you'd be so very dear to them. They would actually be involved in your life. You would know their name. They would know yours. You would be able to talk to them on a semi-regular basis. If you needed to learn how to pray, those would be people you would talk to. If you needed to learn how to read your Bibles, those would be people who would be a resource for you. If you were someone in need, they would invite you into their house. If you were someone who wanted to know more about Jesus, they would be somebody who'd be right there in it with you. That's what a pastor is. <laughs> it has been my great privilege to be your pastor. But the weird thing, honestly, the weird thing that you need to hear is that it's not this like amazing job. It's this job where you're really in the lives of real people. And I don't understand what's happened culturally in our time where we have churches where there, and there are many of them in town, and I'm putting a lot of people on blast, but this is my last day and no one's going to get mad at me. <laughs> but the, the truth is, there are a lot of churches in town that are huge, and there's a guy you can watch and clap for, and that's what a pastor is. And that's not what a pastor is. It's just not. That's not what a pastor is. Pastors who don't care about the people who go to their church, for whom those are just followers, those are just people who will like the things they say on Instagram, just people who will maybe buy the book or talk about, you know, that's my pastor and how great a person they are. That's not what the pastor is. That's not at all what it is. And that's not to say you can't have a larger staff. And that's not to say there can't be a lot of different people invested in people's lives. But a pastor is somebody who knows your name. A pastor is somebody who shows up when you're at the hospital. A pastor is somebody who, if you were going to get married or if you were going to be buried, would show up and not really need to interview a lot of people because they would know about your life. They would know who you were. They would be invested and involved in your story and in your experience of life and Jesus and spirituality. Paul says, so deeply do we care for you that we don't want to just share the gospel with you. We want to share our lives as well. He picks up on this from Jesus. He saw this in Jesus. This is an incarnational kind of a ministry. One that doesn't just say, well, I'm going to stand far off and be important. I'm going to get really, really close to you. I'm going to do life with you. Not a God who's far away, but a God who became one of us. And people who follow Jesus, we go, well, I'm going to go where the people are. I'm not going to wait for people to come to the church. I'm going to go and find them. I'm going to go and talk about the gospel. I'm going to be a missionary to my city because I understand that's what the job is. Not just me, but you. That we, all of us, are called to tell people about Jesus. All of us at some level are called to be priests, it says in the Bible. Now, there are pastors of a group of priests, but y'all still are priests. Paul will say he's a good shepherd, too. Uh, back in verse 7, right, that, that he cared for you so deeply that it, it's like, you know, if you ever see a nanny with kids, like if there were 10 kids around someone who takes care of kids professionally, you could still tell which of the kids were hers. You would immediately know which ones were her biological children, which ones are the ones that she cares deeply about in that way. And that's not to say she doesn't love all of the kids. She's really good at loving and taking care of all of the kids. But you can tell which ones, which ones belong to her. You guys are like our kids. That's what Paul says. And I know the feeling. 
this church plant, this strange little thing that we've been involved in for so many years, is something that feels like a child, like something we are heavily and deeply invested in, something we've spent sleepless nights over, something we regularly pray for each and every one of you by face and by name. And you might think, not us, I haven't been around in a while. Incorrect. We've prayed for you by face and by name. I've been up early in the morning praying for you. I've been up late at night praying for you. Absolutely. Because that's the job. That's what a pastor is. And here's the deal. I'm really grateful for it. It's been a huge gift in my life. And what I want to tell you is that you have not taken advantage of it. And you should. You absolutely should. You have someone who desperately cares about you so deeply that he doesn't just want to share the gospel, but his life as well. And you should expect that of every pastor who shows up in this community. This would be a real church where people actually know each other, not a show that people attend and watch on a regular basis. But that means that the pastor who stands up at the front of the room is a resource for you, someone heavily invested, somebody who loves you. Take advantage of it. Really, take advantage of it. There, my roommate, Summer, who's right there, um, she, she uh, basically joined a club like a year ago. Somebody gave her a gift just before COVID where she could do all sorts of things, go to workout classes, get massages, get pedicures. But this was back in England, and then COVID hit, and everything shut down. She moves to America, and then all of a sudden discovers the program has restarted without her like unpausing it. They just decided one day. And it turns out she actually has all of these resources in town. She can go to workout classes. She can get personal training. She can get pedicures. She can get massages. And it's all free. It's just there. All of a sudden, she's like, I have nine days to do everything. And she's like, how many pedicures can I get between now and nine days? How many massages can I get between now and nine days? Why wouldn't you take advantage of something like this? It's right there. If people want to grow in their faith. That's just a reason people show up to churches on a regular basis. We want to get closer to God. We're kind of hoping that God's real. We're not sure a lot of the time, if we're honest. We want to grow in our faith. We want to get closer to it. A pastor is somebody whose job it is to help you grow, to invest in you. Right? If you want to get better at a language, you need to practice. If you don't speak French for eight months, you have not gotten better at French. If you want to learn how to play piano, and you start for a little while, and then you stop for a little while, and you start for a little while, and you stop for a little while, and you start, you're not going to get better. If you want to be in shape, if you have a personal trainer, somebody who's invested in you, they will show up every day. It's really a question of whether you will show up and take advantage of it. Take advantage of it. It's there. You can grow. You can get really, really deep as somebody who follows Jesus. And I will tell you, as somebody who loves all of you and who will close my eyes at this moment, you, some of you have attendance patterns. You'll show up every three or four weeks. Some of you every seven or eight weeks. Some of you every four or five months, you'll have come two or three times in there. And that is wonderful that you come and that this is at some level your community. But I always wonder if you really understand what a pastor is, if you really know what a church is, if you really wanted to do this because it's right here and you can take advantage of it. And I'm not thinking of any one person in particular, but I'm saying this, this is a community where you can grow in your relationship with Christ. Long after I'm gone, there are people here who care deeply, who will invest in you deeply Take advantage of it. So deeply do we care for you. So deeply do we care for you that we are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. That's what Paul says, and he means it. This whole letter is basically a goodbye. The whole letter, not just the end of the letter. There's a goodbye at the end, but really this is maybe the first letter or the second letter Paul ever wrote, which is confusing because it's somewhere in the middle of the letters. But it's either this one or Galatians. No one really knows. It's kind of a guess. But after Acts 17, so Paul is in a place called Thessalonica, and this is the letter to the 
Thessalonians. So he's in a place called Thessalonica in Acts 17, and basically he's talking to people about Jesus. He just left Philippi, a bunch of people were beating him and throwing him in prison. He was, was the subject of police brutality. It was terrible. And then in Thessalonica, he's talking to people about Jesus, and a bunch of people are coming to know Jesus. And he's with them, and he's discipling folks, and people are going deeper, and little by little, everyone gets really angry, and there's a riot. And people are saying, these people are turning the world upside down which is both a huge compliment and a very dangerous thing to say about somebody. So Paul's doing great work as a pastor and also terrible work as a church planter because he's made everybody in the city really angry, and now he has to leave. And the believers like, get out of town before somebody beats you again. So they just they kind of shuffle him out in the night. He doesn't really have a chance to say goodbye. So he writes this letter, and this letter is really both about discipling people and also kind of about setting the record straight. Look, I didn't leave town because I didn't care about you. That's not why I left town. I, I, I didn't leave town because... There was really nothing left to do. I didn't leave town because you guys didn't have deep pockets and I was sort of waiting for the moment where I could get rich. I, I left because I had to leave and I wish that I did not have to leave. But I know that I was being called out of something and called in to something. And so he reminds them, look, you know we left Philippi not because you know it was a good time, but because we got the crap beat out of us. And then when we came to Thessalonica, it was, you know, we were pretty much expecting the same thing and we were just going to boldly talk about Jesus. And that was what we did. We boldly talked about Jesus. We weren't trying to make people happy. We weren't trying to flatter people. We were just talking about Jesus. Because we know that the person who really will approve of us or not is God. And that's the approval we care about deep, deep down. We weren't building monuments to ourselves. Uh, so the word for pleasing there in verses 4 and 5, kind of all of those words for flattering, those are really common words in old-timey buildings from this period of time. Because in the world of ancient Rome, if you were really, really wealthy and important, you wanted people to know. So you would literally build monuments to yourself. So some of those fun things you can see on tour, like the big arches, they say things like, this was given by Kyle. Kyle was amazing and wealthy and loved this city. And by the way, the guy who paid for this inscription, Kyle. So Kyle was writing all this stuff about himself in big stone letters so the world can see for all time just how amazing he is. So Kyle, and by the way, the word pleasing pops up regularly. He was this guy who really cared about pleasing the city. And Paul says, look, we weren't building a monument to ourselves in you. We just wanted to talk about Jesus. I will tell you that this church has taken a lot out of us. Um, when, when it talks about giving your life for something, we have given our lives for you. We have served you in ways you have no idea about. And I never talk about it because it makes no sense to do, and it's not about me. But it is worth hearing that this church took a lot of work, a lot of work from some really dedicated people. When this thing began, I've said this to you before, there was only me. I was the church. And it was a real challenge to have much of a meeting with me. And so people would come and we would talk about Jesus with strangers and I would walk neighborhoods and I'd pray. And just about every day I'd go, God, what am I doing? What am I, like, what am I doing? Like, am I just wasting my life? Because I'd left a job that was weirdly important and I'd left a lot of money on the table and I'd walked away from other jobs that offered more money and I took this crazy idea that maybe, just maybe, God is still in the business of saving people. Maybe, just maybe, the Spirit is still in the business of creating new churches. Maybe, just maybe, Jesus still saves. That was the idea. And I, I gambled my life on it, but my wife gambled her life on it. We had just had a baby. We had just bought a house, and we were like, let's see. Let's see if God will do something crazy. And we saw God do something crazy. And there was a church that met in my house, and some of you were there. And every morning, we would set up. We would move couches and we would rearrange our furniture and then we would put it all back together when you left. Every single week for a year and a half we gave the church free rent. Then we moved out. We moved to a school 
And we moved to that school at about the same time that one of my sons was dying in the hospital. Some of you remember that. The church saw us through it. And when that happened, church still happened in my house. We were in the hospital. You guys were still meeting in our house. So deeply do we care for you. So deeply. We were going to share our lives with you. When we moved to the school, man, were we invested. But the truth is, we weren't that invested. It was pretty much just me setting up most of the time. We did not have the same volunteer team that we have at the moment. When you showed up, the chairs, mostly set up by me at the time. When you showed up and the room was clean, mostly set up by me. When you left, I was around for another hour afterward, tearing down the church. Because we deeply and dearly care for you. And little by little, people got invested. And little by people, little by little, people got involved. And I remember we started a garden with the fourth graders of that school. And I was sitting down once upon a time with the, gardener, with the kids and uh, one of the volunteers from the church. And the kids were looking at us like, don't you guys have jobs? And the guy was weirdly like, he wanted to defend me, which I don't know why. Um, and so he looks, he's like, don't you know, like this guy speaks multiple dead languages. He's, he has a job, he's a, he's a pastor, like he studied biochemistry. He's a really bright guy, like he knows a lot of things. And these fourth graders are like, that's not true, no. Because he, he wouldn't be here. So no, there's no way. And honestly, like it was just, they just couldn't understand the idea that maybe that there were people willing to give their lives for folks just because they care about them, just because they're willing to follow Jesus. In COVID, we went back to church in my house. And some of you know we were willing, willing to piss off people who were very close to us because we knew that you were in crisis. And so I would go on walks with some of you because you were suicidal. And we would sit and we'd have conversations about marriages that were breaking apart. All because we loved you so dearly and so deeply. And I watched this church, I watched these people get so invested. And we came to this place, so invested in our city and in our community. We sit at the gate of the city, right there. Do you see that white pillar? That is the gate to the city on Miracle Mile. We are right here at the gateway to Phoenix, Arizona. Because we love this city and we want to see it happen. And I know, little by little, more and more of you have gotten more and more invested in this church. More and more invested in this community. So this is another thing I'm leaving you with. Stay invested. Double down on that investment. Get really, really involved in this church. Follow me as I follow Jesus. And let these people become so dear to you that you are willing to give your lives. Not just talk about the gospel, but really willing to give your lives for a community of people like this. This community does not need spectators and it does not need tourists. It needs a group of people that wants to be a church together. This is a church and a church, again, is not a thing you can show up to on Sundays sometimes when you feel like it. It is a community of people on mission for Jesus Christ. That's what a church is. That's what a pastor is. We've talked about that. That's what a church is. You guys as people, I know it's hard, but if you show up on a regular basis and you serve, the church will make sense. If you show up on a semi-regular basis and take advantage of the church, like I'm going to drop my kids off in kids' ministry, I'm going to be welcome to the door, I'm going to take free coffee, I'm going to listen to music, I'm going to sit in chairs, I'm going to leave. If that happens, little by little, the church starts to collapse because the church is a body. We've been talking about this a lot. The church is a body that needs you and it needs your gifts. So if you're going to come and drop off kids, serve in kids ministry. If you're going to come and be welcomed, sit down at a welcome table. If you're going to come and listen to music and you're terrible at the music, maybe don't serve in the music. Sit in the back, though, and help with the slides because you can help us all at least know the words. You can set up chairs, you can tear down, you can sweep these floors. We clean these floors every single week. We mop these floors every single week after you leave because we love the women of Hope Women's Center. We want those women to show up to a clean place because we like literally washing your feet. It's the closest we get, mopping these floors. We want to be like Jesus in this way. Stay invested. Double down on that investment. Paul says in verse 7, look, I could have thrown my weight around as an apostle, 
which is a thing he regularly does in the letters. He says, I could have, but I didn't. But I'm doing it now, not that I'm saying that. I could have, listen, it's one of those great rhetorical moves. You're like, listen, I could say that you owe me, but I'm not going to, but I could say that you owe me. And little by little, you start to realize that's exactly what he's doing in this moment. Not because he's trying to gain something, not at all, but because he wants you to understand the thing that you're invested in and involved in. I have no ulterior motive to say this. Tithe to this church. I will not be paid by this church. Tithe to this church. That's 10% of your income. Give 10% of your income to this community. Not like to random charities when you feel like it sometimes, whatever money you happen to have in your pocket. 10% of your income to this church. Why? So they can pay the bills. So they can love Hope Women's Center. So they can pay their staff fairly. Tithe. We have more than enough people involved in this church. It can be financially stable right now if everybody tithes. In fact, we'd have more than enough money for our budget. We'd be able to really bless and love people well in the name of Jesus. I'm not throwing my weight around as an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm not throwing my weight around as somebody who planted this church and who has given my life day in and day out for you people. But if I were, I would say that you owe me tithe to this church long after I'm gone. <laughs> Hypothetically, if I were doing that, that's exactly what I'm saying. Get invested and involved. Serve in this community. Serve in this community so that it outlives all of us. So that 100 years from now, people are still showing up to this church, still hearing about Jesus, and going, man, this is, what an amazing community. And they will know that you have served them, even if they have no idea about your name. So deeply did you care for them, that you were determined to share with them not only the gospel, but your lives as well. Paul talks a lot about how he didn't flatter people when he showed up. He just told the truth. I've been doing that a little bit today. And I'll tell you this, I've always done that. Always. It would be a lot easier to not tell you the truth. We would have a larger church if I talked about six easy ways to build a better marriage. We would have a much bigger church if I talked about four simple things you can do to be more blessed in life. I could do that, but instead we read the Bible and we don't give BuzzFeed sermons here. We actually want to read this thing. We actually want to hear more about Jesus. And so I'm not interested in flattering you and making you feel good. But the truth is you can make a lot of money doing that as a pastor in the United States of America especially if you're a charismatic public speaker. You can make a lot of money doing that, and that's ugly and that's gross, but it's also true, and we've all seen it, and we're all relatively cynical about it on a pretty regular basis. So here's what I'm telling you. The gospel, this thing that we talk about on a regular basis, the fact that Jesus Christ lived, died, and rose from the dead, that is the thing you should remember. Remember that about this and me and our time together. Remember that we read this book, not just the fun parts, not just the like nice, easy to understand things. We did a series on Deuteronomy together, folks. We did a series on Joshua together and all of the murdering. We, we spent a lot of time in a lot of weird books of the Bible because we genuinely believe that whole book is the word of God. We talked about really difficult and uncomfortable things on a regular basis because we genuinely believe that whole book is the word of God. We genuinely believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and that right now, today, you can have a relationship with him. Right now, today, it could change your life. We believe that Jesus Christ is the God of the universe, that he came in the flesh of a human being, that he did amazing things, that he said amazing things because he loved us so much. We were so very dear to him. He wasn't just going to give us a message through some prophet. He shared his life with us. So deeply did he care for us. And he died for our sins, your sins, my sins, that we could have a brand new life. He was raised from the dead, that you and I could have a brand new life in Christ. We could live the future today. We can live in the kingdom today. We can know that today there's no such thing as goodbye because we genuinely believe 
We genuinely believe that we will all see each other again. We will all rise from the dead. This is incredible good news. This is the gospel. There are a lot of fakes out there. There just are. And most of these letters actually end with some version of like, be careful because there are people out there who are motivated by greed and by flattery and know that they can turn a quick buck by selling religion to you. There are fake gospels out there that will say things like, God will never challenge you. Never challenge you on any of the things you would love to hear. He'll just say the stuff that you want to hear in life. He'll just, he'll tell you you're great. He'll give you a stamp of approval on anything and everything that you really want. Whether that's your understanding of race, or whether that's your understanding of sexuality, whether that's your understanding of your political identity, whether that's your understanding of really anything and everything in the world. What we really want is a gospel that says you're doing great. And that's not what the gospel is. What the gospel is is you are in desperate need of a savior. Desperate need of a savior. Remember, folks. Remember what we talked about on a regular basis, that I loved you too much to lie to you and build a big brand. I loved you so much, so deeply do we care for you, that we shared our lives with you, not just the gospel, because you become so very dear to us. The first verb uh, in verse 8 in Greek, um, so deeply do we care for you, is really, it's just one word, and it's a participle, and it's crazy rare. It never pops up in the New Testament. It rarely pops up in the ancient world, and it mostly pops up on tombstones for people who've lost children. That's the level of care and longing we're talking about. These are people who are like, if I had anyone in the world, it would be you. That's how deeply we care for you, Paul says. That we didn't want to just share the gospel with you. We were determined... Uh, that's what it says in my passage. Yours might have said something like, we were delighted. It's a really fun word in Greek, you document. So it's uh, weird, like if there were a Venn diagram right in the middle, it would be somewhere between determined and excited. That's, that's about where we are. I really want to tell you about Jesus, and I really want to share life with you, and I'm also never going to give up talking about Jesus and sharing my life with you. I'm excited and I'm delighted. I would do it all again. I would do it all again. Difficult though it was, I would share my life with you, and I would think my wife would say the same thing. We would start Bible studies with you again. We would have you over into our house late into the evening again. And some of you know, because I know some of you have been very far from Jesus in the recent years and have come back to the faith. Some of you have been deconstructors over time. And I know I'm looking at some of you on the internet. Some of you I know have found that you've needed to be baptized in this church because you've come to know just how good and how gracious and how lovely God is. How much he loves you. It has been the great privilege of my life to be involved with that with you, to give my life for that, for my wife to give her life for that, for our children to be invested and involved in this church. So deeply do we care for you. We are determined to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives. That word there in Greek is suche, so it's either the soul or like the self or just the essence of a person. It's tough to really know exactly what Paul means, but he means you, all of you. He means me, all of me. I was going to share not just like my, my physical, like biological existence, but every bit of me was on the line, Paul says, that you might come to know the height and breadth and depth of the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord, because you are beloved, dearly beloved by God. And that is why it is a difficult thing for us to say goodbye, because you're so deeply loved by us and so deeply loved by Jesus, and we're so heavily invested in this, so far beyond just a job. That's really not what this is. Ministry is a horrible job. Some of us in this room know that ministry is a horrible job. It's a terrible way to pay the bills. The only reason you do it is if you feel called to it. And man, did we feel called to it. But it is a difficult thing for us to say goodbye. And part of that is because I hate goodbyes. 
Uh, that's an actual thing for me. I love the Irish goodbye, um, which is a racist thing, by the way. But it's an ethnic group I'm a part of, so I think it's more okay. Uh, it's still not a great thing. So the, the idea of the Irish goodbye, this is how it works. Right, it's just, it's that, that was it. You just saw it, you just walk away. <laughs> And I once tried to explain to my wife what the Irish goodbye was because we were at a party that we weren't really enjoying, and she said, that sounds amazing, let's do that. And I was like, so we're just gonna go? She goes, yes, <laughs> awesome, Irish goodbye. And my wife walks through the house and like waves to some people and takes some waters and says goodbye to some folks on her way out the door, and she gets to the car and I'm already there. And I've been there for minutes. And she goes, how did you beat me? And I went, Irish goodbye. And she goes, I did that. And I go, no you didn't, you walked through the house, you talked to people. Like, what did you do? I jumped the fence. I, just, I was out, like I'm, I'm gone. Like if that's what we're doing, that's what we're doing. And the thing is, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about goodbyes in the Bible and how there are so many goodbyes from beginning to end. Moses and Joshua and Samuel and David and Jesus, honestly, and Paul over and over and over again at the end of each and every letter, there's always a goodbye. And this is actually in the middle of a letter. It's the middle of a letter that's kind of one big goodbye, but one of the reasons I've thought about it is that this is the middle of your story. It's goodbye for me, but not for you. And in a very real way, what we're really saying is, you know, I'm going to be gone, but God will still be with you, which is actually where the word goodbye comes from. That's why it doesn't ever pop up in the Bible. The literal word goodbye is nowhere in the Bible, because it's not a word. It doesn't exist in Hebrew and Greek. It's an English thing we came up with in the 1500s. And the reason we came up with it is we got tired of saying all of the words. What we were actually saying was, God be with ye, God be with you, over and over and over again. And eventually that just sort of slammed and contracted down into a single word, goodbye. You have your whole life been praying this blessing over people that you didn't know whenever you said goodbye to people. You've been asking that as you leave that God would still be in their lives. You've been creating a benediction, an invocation. You've been inviting God to take over where you are leaving. I will be gone, my body will be absent, but God will still be with you. Goodbye. It's a beautiful word. I didn't know. And there's a hymn writer named Jeremiah Franklin. Um, who wrote a hymn a long time ago, it was called God Be With You, uh, because he found out about the whole goodbye thing and he loved it. And he was writing in the 1800s and he wrote it for this little small church and they sang it every week. And he, he wanted that to happen so that each and every week when they walked away from each other, they would sing these words over each other. God be with you till we meet again. His counsel's guide uphold you. With his sheep enfold you. God be with you till we meet again. Till we meet again, till we meet again. Till we meet, till we meet, till we meet. At Jesus' feet. Till we meet, till we meet, till we meet. At Jesus' feet, God be with you until we meet again. Each and every week they would sing these words over each other on a regular basis. The memory that actually you don't need me and you don't need us nearly as much as you need Jesus on a regular basis. And yet, one of the great gifts of this community is that it's something you should and can take advantage of. It's something you should and can be invested in, and I recommend it. In fact, I'm you know, not throwing my weight around, but I would say if I were that you probably should. And I also would tell you that this is a place where you will hear more and more and more about this God who we love, that you can dive deeper and deeper and deeper into a relationship with him. You can even find your way back if you've had some pretty ugly experiences and pretty unpleasant experiences of religion or of religious leaders or of churches or of pastors who really didn't live up to the name. And the truth is, none of us do. None of us live up to the name because it's really worn best by Jesus. Jesus who loves us, who gave his life for us. 
Jesus, who we serve as missionaries to this city, you and me, as people sent out from this place into apartment complexes and neighborhoods and office complexes and dorm rooms, that you and I are people who are especially called by God to be folks who give our lives that people might know the gospel. But not just our lives, our, not just the gospel, our, us, who we are, that, that they would become so very dear to us, so very dear to us, we wouldn't just share the gospel, but our lives as well, that we would know just how beloved they are, not just by us, but by God. And we know that we won't be with any of those people forever, and we won't be with each other forever. And that's why we get to say goodbye till we meet again. Till we meet again. God be with you. Till we meet again. Would you pray with me?